Thank you so much, worship team. It is great to be here today. So glad to see you. Just before uh, we dismiss Bridge Kids, uh, reminding you about our May 30th joint worship service with Valley Brook. You know, you've seen that uh, several times. But I want you to know that we've also uh, are planning a serving project with uh, Valley Brook. And uh, it's kind of a cool opportunity. It will be to refurbish, or at least to help refurbish, the Northwoods Motel. That's up off of um, Highway Business 53 between the Chippewa Bike Trail. And um, that uh, property is now in the possession of the Hub, which is uh, for homeless services. And they're going to refurbish those as many homes for the homeless. So that's going to be a neat opportunity, and we'll, we'll do that jointly with Valley Brook. That's the plan. It'll, the, the date is Saturday morning, June 19th, and uh, we're going to have more details to come. So, Bridge Kids, thank you. You're dismissed. The rest of us are going to look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 19 through 30 as we um, seek to continue to rise above our circumstances. Today we're talking about real heroes. In the book, The Colors of Hope, beginning people, uh, Becoming People of Mercy, Justice, and Love, the author Richard Dahlstrom describes what he calls the safety first mentality. This is something that, you know, it's easy just to, you know, make important. It is important. Safety is important. Um, but according to this perspective, he writes, the key to living well is to live safely. Uh, this includes things like locking your doors at night, and uh, I'm guessing most of you do that. Uh, getting an alarm system. I don't have an alarm system. Saving 10% of your income. Taking your vitamins and the best supplements. I don't know if you do that. I, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> be sure to eat lots of soluble fiber. And, of course, get some exercise. Get eight hours of sleep. I think that's a good idea. Go to church regularly. I like that one. Drive safely at all times. That's a good one. Uh, don't go on mission trips to places where you might contract a staph infection, malaria, intestinal parasites, or possibly a terrorist organization. Eat organic foods and be sure to get a colonoscopy. <laughs> now, you don't have to do that until you get a little bit older. I'm just warning you about that. Um, the question for us is, how does that fit in with Jesus? doesn't seem to fit. Jesus never defined the good life as being a long life. He never defined the good life as being the comfortable life or even the safe life. Jesus said things like, whoever seeks to serve, um, whoever seeks to save their life will lose it, and whoever uh, loses their life for me will save it. That's true that we, we want to be good stewards with our lives. You know, we want to, want to manage things well. We want to pursue good health. But there is something about the Christian life that entails giving our lives away, giving our lives to other people. We have been given life. 
And our job is to give life to other people. Um, And for those who give their lives away for the sake of the gospel, for God, those are real heroes. God's heroes are people who give their lives away. We're going to look at two of those heroes today in Philippians chapter 2. I invite you to chapter 2, verse 19, and uh, we're going to read down through verse 30 and just see the whole uh, picture here uh, in the book of Philippians. And uh, Paul writes to the Philippian church, the believers there, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as the son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up the help you yourselves could not give me. So we're looking at Philippians chapter 2. And we see, first of all, that God's heroes are servants of the gospel. Uh, Probably not too complicated to understand. God's heroes are servants of the gospel. They work to promote the message of the gospel. They desire to see lives that are changed for Jesus. And to make this happen in verses 19 through 21, they focus on the priorities of Jesus. Just get straight to the point. They focus on the priorities of Jesus. Things like sacrificial love, things like extending mercy, extending grace, holding to truth and living out the truth in obedience, humility, servanthood, and making disciples for Jesus. In verse 19, Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive the news about him. So remember, the Apostle Paul is being held in Rome in prison. Philippi is a city in uh, Macedonia. It's a Greek city. It's a ways away. And um, Paul plans to send Timothy uh, in the near future. He wants to give an update to the church. You know, communication is so important. Now, we have instant communication. We know that communication is important. And if I forget to communicate to the church something that's important, I find out the hard way. I get embarrassed totally when I don't communicate. 
If I do something without communicating with our elders, that's embarrassing, you know. Um, communication is really important. Now, they, they had to wait months for a letter or for a person. Give, what's an update? Tell me what's going on. We've been praying for months, day after day. What's happening in Rome? And so Paul wants to send Timothy. Paul wants to hear how the Philippian church is doing as well. So Timothy is going to have to go there, and then later he's going to have to meet up with Paul somehow. He's either going to have to come back to Rome if Paul is in Rome, or he's going to have to meet up with um, Timothy somewhere else. And Paul wants to hear about the Philippian church. He, he's concerned about what's happening. Look at the things that he's also wrote. He, he, he wrote to them about striving together uh, as one for the sake of the gospel. He was concerned about uh, unity, which uh, indicates the possibility that at times there wasn't unity, and, and he was urging them to that. He, he was concerned about humility, having the mind of Christ, and he wants to hear how it's going. He's concerned that they, they are still advancing the gospel of Christ, and, and he's hoping for a good report. Uh, in verse 20, he says, I have, uh, speaking of Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, Philippians, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is in Rome, and he's around other believers in Rome, but he doesn't have anybody there like Timothy. You know, um, other people may have been asked to make this trip, but they were too busy. They had other concerns. Maybe they were fearful. Other priorities. Can't go, you know, I can't go because I have a bad back. Maybe they, somebody had that one. Uh, no, that would be me. Uh, and Paul dis, describes his character. No one else who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Uh, Timothy it's in New American Standards, is one of kindred spirit. He's like-minded. He has the same heartbeat for the gospel that Paul does. He has the same um, drive to advance the kingdom, just like Paul. They're on the same page. Um, they probably could finish each other's sentences on, on, on some occasions. But he says, I have no one uh, who, who looks out for uh, other people's interests. Now, keep in mind what he's already said in Philippians 2. Just remember this. He, he told them, do nothing of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, above, um, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, to, but each of you to the interests of others. And Timothy is one of those guys who gets it. He says, in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Timothy gets that. Um, and, and that's a great encouragement to Paul. And when it comes to choosing priorities uh, for Timothy, the answer is simple. Follow the leader. Follow the words of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 6, 33 Jesus uh, said this, he said, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, God's righteousness, 
And all these things will be given to you as well. It's about having kingdom priorities. The, the priorities uh, that Jesus instructed. Um, and this was, this was Timothy's life perspective. Just like Paul, they were of kindred spirit. It was easy for him to be on the same page with Paul. I think I began to really understand this passage as a young pastor. It took me into my middle 30s uh, before it kind of made sense to me. What's a kindred spirit? You know, we're all Christians. We all have the same spirit. Um, my first ministry, I was an associate pastor back in Iowa, and I went to serve with a, a pastor, a senior pastor named Joel. And uh, I was his very first associate. He'd been a solo pastor for years and years and years. In fact, he had discipled me before I went to seminary, and he was the one who encouraged me to go to seminary. And he prayed for me and supported me the whole time we were there. And then he invited me back to be his first associate pastor uh, after all those years. And I got to learn, and I got to see a model of somebody who was committed to Christ, who, who loved the gospel, who, who wanted to advance the gospel, who sought first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And I remember as a young pastor, and I'd been there for a year or so, and I began to think, you know, there's nobody like us in the church. Of all the people, nobody understands the way we do. Now, there's a little bit of danger there of becoming prideful. But I knew he understood things about the church that his, his elders didn't see. I knew that, you know, he, under, he had a deep respect for theology and he loved God's word. And, you know, I was growing and um, it just seemed like, this is like Paul and Timothy. Paul's the old guy, Timothy's the young guy. And I was young back then. Not so anymore. Verses 22 through 24, they also serve to advance the work of the gospel. They focus on the priorities of Jesus, and they serve to advance the work of the gospel. It's only logical for somebody who has the priorities of Jesus. Look at verse 22. He says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. Uh, Timothy had a track record of faithfulness. Committed guy. Serving to advance the gospel. He, 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 Paul says, he has served with me. He's, he's a, got a servant's heart. Now, the interesting thing here, Timothy is being trained as a leader. Timothy will become a very significant leader in the years ahead. But he's being trained as a servant, and he's serving alongside of Paul. Now, uh, Timothy was a young man. He was led to faith by Paul. He was discipled by Paul. Uh, he was called into ministry through the work of Paul, and, and Paul had mentored him. And you know what? They hung out together for 17 years before before uh, the Apostle Paul was executed in Rome. There was an admiration and respect between the two, like a father and a son. They knew each other well. They accepted each other's flaws. 
Isn't that the biggest problem sometimes with working with people? You get to know them so well, you know every weakness they have. And sometimes that seems like it gets old. Well, there's a place to accept one another's weaknesses and focus on their strengths and encourage them and to move forward. Paul writes in 23, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Paul is going to send Timothy, but it's based on the outcome of his trial or the outcome of his imprisonment if there is no trial. And we understand in history that eventually we, it seems like Paul must have been released from this imprisonment. Later, he will be imprisoned again. Years later, he will be imprisoned again in Rome, and there will be no way out of that one. That will be a dungeon, and that will be an execution. But now he's in an apartment. In, in Acts 28, we see this uh, unfold, and that's where he's writing from. And he's chained to a Roman soldier. Verse 24, it says, I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now, he doesn't have absolute certainty. He doesn't claim to be a prophet here. He has a confidence, and he, and he thinks that it's going to work out. He thinks he's going to be released, and he thinks he's going to get to see the Philippians again. He's going to go to Philippi, to that church that he and Timothy established originally. As I mentioned, Timothy is being trained as a leader in the church, and that means he's being trained as a servant. That's the kind of instruction that Jesus gave his disciples. He was training them in leadership. Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, remember this passage just as a reminder, and Jesus called them together, the disciples, and he said, you know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That's Jesus' focus. Humility and servitude. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And this is what's important. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He is our model. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. He came to give his life away. Not protecting it, not about safety at all cost, but to give it away. And, and one of the things we see here is the whole concept of leadership, being turned upside down from the world's standards to God's standards. And do we see that with heroes as well? Do you ever dream of being a hero or wanting to win the prize or to get stand at the center of attention because you did something so well? And if you can do it and honor God, that's awesome. But God's heroes are not people that stand out by world standards. God's people are those who are servants and have the same priorities as Jesus. Timothy was one of God's heroes. 
What about you? Are you one of God's heroes? Um, are you one who focuses on Jesus's priorities? Would people describe you as a person who puts the kingdom of God first? That you get that. You even put the kingdom of God ahead of your family because you know God has the very best for your family and he's the one who's going to care for them and provide for them. Would someone describe you as one who gives their life away for the advancement of the gospel? You know, you don't have to be a, an international missionary to do that. You can give your life away in your neighborhood just by seeking to serve other people, to be kind, to represent Jesus where you go. And when you're given the opportunity to speak for him, and you don't have to be a great preacher, all you have to do is tell, you, tell your story about how God has worked in your life. That's it. That's what God wants from each of us. Verses 25 through 30, we see God's hero makes sacrifices for the work of Christ. God's heroes make sacrifices. And we, we began in verse 25 that they, they're team players. You know, you have to even sacrifice to be a team player. I have a book in my office. It's called Church is, is a Team Sport. Church is a team sport. God has so designed the church, and I think team is just one of those good terms that fits our culture and our worldview today. We get team. Not everybody does the same thing. Teams have to have different players in different positions, and they need to work together. I saw that the Yankees uh, turned three double plays yesterday, and the combinations were different each time. But if they don't work as a team, bases were loaded, one run scored, two runs scored, maybe even three runs would score just because somebody goofs up. Church is a team sport. Paul continues his letter in verse 25. He says, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Now, he'd already said, I'm going to send Timothy. Now he's talking about sending somebody else, Epaphroditus. He says, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who also is your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. So we meet Epaphroditus for the first time. He's only mentioned in the book of Philippians. Um, he's probably a different guy than Epaphras from the book of Colossians and also the, from the book of Philemon. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. That's his home church. Um, he had come to Rome... And we're going to see this later in chapter 4. The reason he came to Rome was to bring Paul a financial support from the Philippian church. Because, see, Paul's held prisoner. And, you know, the government doesn't take care of your food and your housing when you're in prison. You have to supply your own. And so Paul is getting missionary support from churches. And the, the Philippian church is the best. And so Epaphroditus took a little bag of gold to Paul. He had to be a responsible guy and a faithful steward to do that. And um, he was sent to be a servant to the Apostle Paul, to help out, to do what was needed so 
the ministry of the gospel could continue even in chains. And so um, Paul is going to send Timothy later, but he's going to send Epaphroditus now. Timothy goes when we find out what happens to Paul. Does Paul live or does Paul die? But Epaphroditus is going to go back now. He describes Epaphroditus in glowing terms. He calls him my brother. Paul is a well-educated Pharisee. His, he was from a culture that where Pharisees tend to be a little prideful because they were, you know, like above everybody else in their social standing. Epaphroditus may well have been a household servant. Paul doesn't have any social distinctions here. He's a brother in Christ. We're in God's family together. We are equals. He says he's my co-worker. You know, Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Epaphroditus is just one of those guys that came to serve him. And Paul says, no, we are in this side by side. We are co-workers, co-laborers together for the work of the gospel. Paul describes him as a fellow soldier with Paul. This is a little bit of a step up here. He is a soldier for Christ. He's in God's army. He understands spiritual warfare. He understands the wiles of the enemy. He understands the controversy of the gospel. And what happens when people disagree about the gospel and fights break out? Paul has been arrested and Paul's been beaten. He understands that there's really a spiritual battle going on for the gospel. He knows how to make a defense for the gospel. Um, and he is the messenger from the Philippians. He came to Rome from Philippi with the message about how the church was doing, and he brought a gift. Now Paul is sending him back. He's the messenger back to the Philippians. Now Paul is concerned that the Philippians might take this as a little unusual. Why is Epaphroditus coming back now? Is he a wimp? Uh, what's the matter? Why doesn't he stay? Why doesn't he do what we sent him to do? Epaphroditus is a team player. We're going to address that part in just a minute. Epaphroditus is a team player. He serves to make the team better and more effective for the gospel. He doesn't care what his role is. The church is a team. It's made up of team players, many players, just like uh, the human body. We see this in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Um, Paul writes uh, to the Corinthian church in Corinth. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. He's making a comparison. The human body, many body parts, but you only see one of me. The church is like that, he's saying. The, the church is the body of Christ, and it's made up of many body parts, many members, many team players. There's only one body, but there are many team members. And that's why we are to strive together as one. 
In verses 14 through 20, he continues, even so the body is not made up of one part but many, and he's referring to the human body now. He, he says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason to stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And his point is, they're all important. Um, every part is needed. They, they all must work together as a team. Every team member in the church is needed. Now, I think this next part is amazing, verse 18. But in fact, God has placed parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God designed the human body so that all these body parts up here are just the way he wanted them. And there's only one of me. And God has designed the bridge the same way. There is one body. There are many local bodies in the city of Eau Claire and in the Chippewa Valley. And there is one universal church, and we're a part of that. But when it comes to a local ministry, God is the one who designs his church. And God has designed this church. And he has you and I here for this time. And we all have a role on the team. And we need every one of them, every one of you. And as we function, we are healthier and we are more effective in advancing the gospel. And we are more beautiful as a bride, if you don't mind that imagery, if you don't mind me calling the bride. The beauty of the church, the beauty of the bride is to attract our world to Christ. Now, not everybody gets attracted to, to Christ. Some people are repelled by Christ because the gospel is offensive. When God is at work, he's drawing people. He does it best when the bride is operating as he designed it to operate. Uh, in verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. He wants to remind us God has designed our church. It is to function as a team. We are to strive together as one. Not only are God's heroes team players, that's how God designed the team, but they're also risk takers. And before we address uh, 26 through 30, let's just stop. Um, if God has designed the church as a team, we need people in every, every place. Now, we have several things that are just required to, to, to go week from week at the bridge to be a part of the team. Uh, to be a part of the team, we need somebody that helps with lights every Sunday. We need somebody that helps with the soundboard every Sunday. We need somebody running graphics every Sunday. We need people that come in early and set up every Sunday. We need people in Bridge Kids uh, holding, 
our small ones. We need, we need people that um, help out in Bridge Kids. We need people who can teach in Bridge Kids. We need people who uh, serve in 412. Um, we need people who are growth group leaders. We need people who are ushers, people who are greeters on Sunday morning. We need somebody to drive the, the bus and pull the trailer every week. That's just so we can have one service. Our growth group leaders are not just for the service. But as team members, that's not just what we do as Sunday. And we also need people for serving projects, to, to serve in our community. And there's just, and sometimes the most powerful things we do is the informal things we do throughout the week as we connect with people and relate with people and have opportunities to help and serve other people. We are a team, whether we're gathered or whether we're scattered throughout the week. Okay, we come to verses 26 through 30. God's heroes are risk takers. Look at verse 26. And he talks about Epaphroditus. He says, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. Now, Epaphroditus cares about the church back home. Um, Epaphroditus doesn't want to go back home just because he's homesick. He wants to tell them what's happened. He, he wants them not to be worried about his welfare. He wants them to know about what's going on with Paul. And, and um, he had been ill. We don't know what that is. He became very ill. He almost died. And then Paul goes on, he says, but God had mercy on him, on Epaphroditus, not on him only, but also on me. Paul says, God had mercy on me because I needed Epaphroditus so much. I couldn't lose Epaphroditus. He's such a brother. And he spared me sorrow on sorrow, grief upon grief. Verse 28, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So Paul understands this communication, and it seems like it's really slow that we send uh, Epaphroditus back, and it's going to take months for him to get there by land or by ship, and um, just to send a message. He's going he's to take this letter the Philippian, uh, to the Philippian church, the one that Paul's writing right now, and he's going to be the one who delivers it. And Paul understands it's so important to connect with those believers and to, and to stay in touch and, and to let them know what's going on, not to leave them isolated. And then he says in verse uh, 29, he says, So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Paul wants the Philippians to welcome Paul back. Uh, Epaphroditus back as a hero. Give him a hero's welcome, hero's status, and, and do it with great joy because Epaphroditus and people like him deserve to be honored. He is a role model for Christ. He gets it. In Philippians 2.5, have the same mind as Christ. Have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. Verse 30, because he almost died and the work 
uh, for the work of Christ. He risked his life. He's a risk taker to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, it's not like the Philippian church should have been there to help. Epaphroditus was an ambassador for the Philippian church. He, Epaphroditus was their stand-in. And Paul is very grateful for that. He was a risk-taker. He was one of God's heroes. Jesus spoke these words in John 15, verse 13. He said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what Epaphroditus did. He was willing to be a risk taker, even at the risk of his own life. He was a risk taker to serve the Apostle Paul. He was a risk taker to serve the Philippian church. He was a risk taker to advance the gospel of Christ. Taking risks requires faith. It it requires a great trust in God and his promises. Uh, Abraham was a risk taker. You remember his story? He, He took some big risks for God. He trusted God's plan for his life. As God led him, he followed carefully. He wasn't perfect, but he lived by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. This typical man. Had to stop and ask for directions. He was from Ur of the Chaldees. That would be like Iraq. And uh, God says, I want you to go, Abraham. I'm going to show you. Abraham was a wealthy guy. He had over 300 servants at this point. Now, they've done uh, archaeology in the place of Ur of the Chaldees, and it was a very advanced civilization. There were two-story homes with a water system. This is like uh, 2200 B.C. It was an advanced system. Abraham probably had one of those two-story houses in Ur of the Chaldees. And God said, Abraham, pack up everything. I want you to take Sarai, your wife, and I want you to go. And so he did. He obeyed God just like that. And, and verse 9, by, um, by faith, Abraham made a home in the promised land. That's, where, that's a, that key concept. Where's the promised land? It's the land that God gave to Abraham and told Abraham to go to. And it would later become the land of Israel. By faith, Abraham was a risk taker. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in the foreign country. Interesting thing, nobody lived there that was friendly to him. There weren't his people. He was a stranger. He was an alien. He was an immigrant in the, in the land, the promised land, where everything great was supposed to happen. And he had to live in a tent all of his life. He's a wealthy man, and he has to live in a tent because that was God's plan. And he did it. 
He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and his grandson, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Generation to generation, they lived by faith and they didn't get all the answers. They didn't get the good life, the comfortable life, the secure life. Verse 10, this is an amazing verse. I know I say this is an amazing verse about every other paragraph, but verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Wow. How did Abraham see this? What did he have in mind? We don't know this from the Genesis account. We only know it from Hebrews chapter 11. Somehow Abraham had this vision or really strong impression about this city with foundations whose architect is builder is God. Not a human-built city, but a God-built city. And he was waiting for that. And he didn't get there, and he didn't receive it. And you know what? It's still out there, and it's in Revelation 21, where there's going to be no more crying and no more dying and no more tears. And that will be the city that Abraham was waiting for. Abraham was a risk taker. In his book called Risk Takers, Malcolm Duncan recounts an amazing part of, there I said it again, of Christian history from the third century. I'll try to do better. Around 232 A.D., Carthage was the leading city in North Africa. And it was overrun by a deadly plague, and they had no center for disease control to help them out. And dead bodies were gathered uh, quickly. As soon as somebody died, the body had to be thrown over the wall or taken outside of the city. And if you were even suspected to be exposed to the plague, you were ousted from the city and you were not allowed back in. And this became very painful for people. Suffering, dying, being ostracized, and not back into uh, their homes. The bishop of Carthage, Carthage was named Cyprian, and he was one of God's heroes. He called the church of Carthage together and invited them to go and live among the sick and the dying. This is revolutionary. He challenged them to give up their comfort and their security and to step into a world of the rejected and the forgotten. Cyprian used a biblical illustration about being willing to give up your life for the cause of Christ. He used the example of Epaphroditus. And these Christians of Carthage were called parabolani, meaning one who takes risks, risk takers, because that's how uh, the Apostle Paul described Epaphroditus, risking one's life. 
The Parabolani became a movement that served the poor, the broken, the forgotten, and the vulnerable. And they were all inspired by Epaphroditus, the risk taker. Let's go back to that question. Are you one of God's heroes? Would people say you are a risk taker for God? Do people see you as a servant of the gospel and, and serving the priorities of God's kingdom, the priorities of Jesus? Are you a team player in, in Jesus' church? That's what God wants from us. We don't have to be great by the world's standards. We have a different set of values. And it's about humbly serving the cause of Christ. Let's stand together and pray. Father, I thank you for the examples we have about two men that lived out their lives uh, pursuing the mind of Christ, humbly walking with Christ for the sake of the gospel, serving together on a team. God, may we learn from, from these men. And God, would you enable us to be servants for you? Wherever we are, there'll be some people in this room that will serve God internationally. There will be some people who may move to another city. We all can serve you in our neighborhoods or in our workplace and just humbly represent Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Help us to be sensitive to your priorities first. Give us clarity about when we are placing our own personal interests above yours, above the needs of others, Help us to be more like Jesus in expressing our love, demonstrating humility, being kind. And give us boldness to share our story and to speak words that bring life and offer life and the life that comes through the gospel of Christ. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.